Good morning, everyone. Hello, can you hear me? Hello, hello, one, two, three. No, I can just shout. I'm pretty loud. And that's my family. <laughs> when they were, when my kids were really little, we went to the indoor playground at um, the Gateway. Is it still called a mall? Gateway Center? I don't know what it's called. Shopping Center, Gateway Shopping Center. And um, it was Jack and Evie, and they were so loud. And it was kind of empty, you know, the, the mall there. And um, they were just, like, screaming and yelling. And it has those big, huge ceilings, and it's echoing. And I'm, like, a little bit embarrassed, you know, but they're having a good time. And I was like, wow, they're loud. And then, you know, I realized, okay, they probably get it from me. But good morning, everybody. Um, pat yourself on the back. I am very impressed. There was a time change, and you're still here for service. That is incredible. Some of you guys are like, I'm a functioning adult, so you don't need to pat me on the back. But for those of us in the room that are like, no, I'll take all the pats on the back I can get. Go ahead. Just pat yourself on the back. You did a great job. Way to go. Um, I, it's so good to see everybody today. Hey, I have a really exciting thing that I want to tell you that is happening next week. Next week is Joy Church's fourth birthday. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? So four years ago, next week, we started Joy Church. Um, if you guys want to put up that little picture thingy, uh, this one. Hey, we have this little fun thing. If you're interested, if you want to do this, um, we'll, we'll put this on social media. So it's mostly like an Instagram kind of thing, but you could probably figure it out for Facebook. But you can actually fill this out. Um, you can get this. We'll share it again today. We shared it earlier in the week, but you could, we'll share it again today. And you can um, get this and you can fill it out for yourself. So if your name was Veronica, you would write in here, my name is Veronica. Do you guys get that? Self-explanatory? You can figure that out, right? Okay, so you're gonna, you can fill that out and you can share it um, on your social media. It's just another way to invite people. It's just a fun way to show that we're having a birthday. Um, I have a four-year-old. How many of you guys have ever had a four-year-old? I, I have currently a four-year-old, so I'm excited and I have a lot of fear and trepidation for this next year for us. No, I'm teasing. I'm just kidding. I'm so excited to be able to... Um, share with you guys over the next few minutes today. We're in this awesome series, Peculiar People. We're going through the book of Acts, which is a book in the Bible. And we're going through that book and um, just really exciting. We've been talking about how the people um, in Acts, they were peculiar people, right? The first Christians, the early church, they were peculiar people. And we've been talking about how they were spirit-filled people. Today, I wanna to talk to you about something else that they were. Um, they weren't only spirit-filled people, but they were also supernatural people. So what I really want to talk to you guys about for the next few minutes is this idea about miracles. And, you know, here in the, the Western world, we don't really see a lot of supernatural miracles, right? I mean, technically, we actually do, but we don't really necessarily attribute them to, to God, Right. But in other places, in other parts of the world where they're more open to the supernatural, they see a lot more miracles. But one thing that I want to talk to you guys about today is just what miracles are and how we can start walking more in miracles. So the peculiar people in Acts, they weren't just spirit-filled, but there was something different about them. They were also supernatural people. So what is a miracle? We have a definition of a miracle right here, a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by nature or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. So a miracle is something out of the ordinary, right, that we can't explain that happens. I have a quote from Eric Metaxas where he talks about what a miracle is. It says, we human beings live
in the natural world, the world of nature and matter and time, to fathom what it might mean for something to come into our world of space and time from beyond that world of space and time is not easy. But if we believe there is a God who created this world of space and time, we have already accepted the idea of the miraculous. If you believe in God, if you are a Christ follower, you already have accepted the idea of the miraculous. I'm not even going to get into this um, idea today, but there's miracles throughout the Bible, and there's, there's some you know, small sections of Christianity that would say you know, that, that those are not real, that miracles don't exist. And the truth is, is that if miracles don't exist, then it's going to be difficult for me to be a Christian. Because if Jesus, if he wasn't God, fully man, fully God, if he didn't come and walk this earth and live a perfect life, if he didn't die on the cross, and if he didn't rise from the dead after three days, then I don't have anything to base my faith on. If I can't believe that, then why would I trust Jesus with my soul, right? Why would I trust him with my life? And so miracles are integral to us. They're integral to our faith that we believe in miracles, that we believe they happen, that they still happen today, and that God is inviting every single one of us to walk in the miraculous. Um, you know, if, we, if you look throughout the Bible, if you look into the Old Testament, for the most part, we generally see either God you know, doing a supernatural miracle work of God, inter in, you know, intersecting with our world, or we see a miracle happening with one person, right? But it's usually really one person at a time. So we have Moses, you know, he's doing miracles. He's doing, doing things through God, right? God's performing the miracles through him, but he's doing them in order for a reason. He's setting the people free, right? Then we have Elijah, we have Elisha, but it's usually one person, right? Even up to the point where we see Jesus. It's Jesus going around, and he's the one working miracles for the most part. But then something changes. Once Jesus, you know, comes back from the dead, once Jesus ascends back into heaven, and he sends his Holy Spirit, suddenly it's not just one person doing miracles anymore. Suddenly we see that all of these followers of Jesus are performing miracles. And I said here, once Jesus ascends into heaven, we see everyone performing miracles. Now, everyone is a stretch, but I mean all of the followers of Jesus. They're all out there performing miracles to the point that in, in Acts, we, they have a, a point, at, you know, the church is rapidly growing, and it's growing so much. And the disciples, the apostles, they're so busy, right? Because there's literally thousands of people, which probably means thousands of problems, correct? Right? It's just like it's exploding. And, and so people come and they start complaining and they say, you guys are neglecting the, the widows, right? And the apostles are like, we're so busy. There's so many people. What do we do? And so, so in order for the apostles to keep preaching the gospel, for, to keep telling people about Jesus, to keep starting new churches, they say, we're going to assign some people to take care of the widows. And so one of those people that they assign is Stephen, right? And you guys probably, maybe you're familiar with this story, but my point is, is that Stephen is given this very practical task, right? Okay, you're faithful. You're going to take care of people. Make sure they have food. Make sure they're taken care of. you right. And yet it says that he was performing miracles all over the place to the point where people arrested him, Right? So what that tells me is that there are miraculous things are happening all over the place and that people that believe in Jesus, the followers of Jesus, are walking out in, the, in miracles. They're walking out in the supernatural. 
Somehow, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, we are all empowered to see the miraculous. And that's incredible. That's incredible. But today, you know, maybe you're in this room and you say, I'm sure we all are, right? Hey, I would like a miracle in my life right? We all have things. Maybe you are believing that God can heal you. Maybe you're believing that God can heal someone in your family. Maybe you're believing for a family member, you know, or a neighbor or someone to come to Christ, right? That's a miracle. Maybe you're believing for a financial provision. You need God to work a miracle in your finances. Whatever it is, there's so many of us in this room that you're believing for something, and, and that's great. That's a wonderful thing. But what the little switch that I want to, to hopefully make in your heart, in your mind today, is to believe that I don't want to just be a person who consumes miracles. I don't want to just be a person who here that comes to church and I'm praying and believing for miracles for my own life. But I want to become a contributor. I want to become someone that God can use to see miracles happen in their lives, in the people around, around me's life, Right? And so that's the hope that I, or that's the, yeah, that's the hope that I have for every single one of us today that will walk out of this room thinking a little bit more, God can use me to see miracles. God can use me to pray for miracles. God can use me to believe for miracles. In Genesis, there's a man, his name is Abraham, and um, he, he gets this bold promise, him and his wife, they don't have any children, and he gets this bold promise from God that they are going to be the father and mother of a nation, Right? And that is impossible. <laughs> they're so old, they're not going to have children at this point. Some of you guys are like, I know what you mean. I know what you're saying, okay? So they're, but they're believing for this miracle anyways. God comes to them and says, you're going to have a child. And Sarah is completely barren. She's like, okay. And then now they, God says, okay, move. And I'll show you where you'll move when you get there. Which I'm like, nah. Show me now. That'd be good. I'll pack when you show me where we're going to move, right? So now they are just sojourning, right? They're moving around as God tells them. And it's really interesting because they are believing for this miraculous baby that there's no evidence that this is ever going to happen for them, right? The only thing they have is this promise from God. And so it's been years and years and years that God has made this promise to them and they haven't seen any evidence that it's going to happen, right? How many of you guys are like, this sounds like my life? right? And yet they keep having faith. I'm sure they have doubts, right? But they keep having faith. Okay, all right. Is, is he going to do what he said he's going to do? Is he really God? Is this really true? Is this really going to happen? And then really interesting in Genesis 20, they come into this place. There's a, it's like Abimelech's land. And there's a whole story that happens here. But at the very end, Abimelech comes to Abraham and he says, before you leave my land, you need to pray to your God, that all the women in our land will no longer be barren. Now, can you imagine when you've been believing that God is going to work a miracle for you so that your wife will no longer be barren, and then you have someone come and say, pray that all of us won't be barren. And it's very interesting to me. This, this story has always been fascinating to me, right? That I'm like, how did Abraham do it? How did he have the faith to pray for these people? How did he even have the, you know, emotional health to be able to pray for these people? And yet he prays, and then the women are no longer barren. And really interestingly, in Genesis 21, that's when Isaac is born to them, Abraham and Sarah, the very next chapter. And I think God is trying to speak something to us. 
that we do, we all have things in our life that we say, God, I'm desperate for you to do this in my life. I'm desperate for you to change this area of my life. I'm desperate for you to heal this person. I'm desperate for you to move in my life, whatever those things are. But as you begin to be a contributor and take those steps towards being used by God and obeying him and doing the things that he wants to do for the people around you, right, that where he wants to use you, you're going to begin to see God do miraculous things in your own life. Amen? So we're going to look at... Um, Acts chapter 3, um, and that, that's the story that we're going to be looking at today. And you know, um, my joy group, I'm not going to call anybody out, but we went through Acts chapter 3. How many of you guys are in a joy group? How many of you guys went through Acts chapter 3 a few weeks ago or so? We went through Acts chapter 3, and right now we have it where every person, they take turns telling the story. And this amazing, beautiful woman in our joy group told this story so well. And if you know this story, if you've been in church, if you were a church kid, there's a song that goes to this story. And so she invited us to sing the song along with her. And I have to tell you guys, this is my shame. I didn't. I didn't sing. And I knew the song so well. I couldn't. I was too embarrassed. But she sang the song to us. It was amazing. But in, in Acts chapter 3, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So Peter and John are just going about their normal life. This is the city that they live in, right? And so they're going to the temple to pray, which would be something that was very normal for them, something that they probably did specifically at this temple all of the time, except this time something is different. And there's a man there, right, who says that he is lame from birth, so he's never walked in his life. And it says that they take him every day to the temple so that he can beg for money. This is the only way that he's going to live is off of the charity, right, of other people. And so he's, he's brought to this place. And honestly, I think that Peter and John would have seen him or would have passed by him many times throughout their life if they were going to this temple all of the time. And if this man was brought to this temple every single day, then this is something that they would have seen many, many times. And yet this day, something was different, right? This day, this whole man's life changed. On this day, really interesting, right? He asked for money. Hey, do you have any money? We've all experienced that, correct? We've all experienced someone asking us for money. And yet on this day, Peter noticed him. Peter saw him. And so the first thing I have here, I have four ways that we can really begin to walk into the supernatural. And the first one is we have to stop and notice the cry. We have to stop and notice the cry. Peter might have seen this man many, many, many times. But I love what it says. It says in, in um, verse four, Peter directed his gaze at him. It's like he noticed him as did John, 
And Peter said, look at us. Look at me, right? Something happened. It was different this day. This day, Peter noticed the man. The first thing in every single one of our lives, if we're going to begin to walk in the supernatural, is we have to actually stop and notice the cry. We have to actually stop and notice the hurting around us. And for so many of us, this means we actually have to quiet our life enough that we can hear the cry around us. In the Western world, we are basically defined by busyness. If you talk to anybody, how was your week this week? Oh, it's so busy, right? That's what we were all defined by. We run from thing to thing to thing to thing, always moving. Uh, Jake's brother was, was contemplating getting AirPods, and he was asking us, you know, if he should get these AirPods or not. And we were talking about, you know, the pros and cons of them or whatever. And he said, well, I go from place to place. Like, I go here, and then I go there, and then I go here, and then I go there. So do you think I will lose them? And I said, you just described everyone's life that lives. I go here, and I go there, and I go here, and I go there. And, you know, if you're a functioning adult, you don't lose your stuff. Well, most of the time, right, guys? <laughs> you lose your keys sometimes. But I was like, that's all of us. We all go places. You know, you just got to hold on to your stuff, you know? Right? But we're all busy, and the truth is, for God to be able to begin to use us to see miracles, we have to be to quiet our lives enough that we actually see people who need miracles. If I'm so busy that I can never hear anybody, then I'm never going to be able to see God move, right? So how do we quiet our lives enough, break down the things that say, look at, look at your schedule, look at the stuff that you do, and say, God, what can I cut out just so that I can hear the people around me? just so that I can be used by you. You know, if, if you were, were going through to get coffee on your way to work and the person, the barista started pouring out their life to you, would you have enough margin in your life to be able to talk to them for five minutes? Or would you not? Because it would ruin your whole day and you'd be late for everything. Right? We have to quiet our life and our schedules enough that we can be able to have time for when we hear God saying, hey, this is it. I want you to pray for this person. Right? We have to quiet our life enough to hear the cry. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them. Right? The man fixes his attention on Peter and John, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. So the second thing is use what you have. What do you have? I can't, I can't help those people because I don't have any money. I can't help those people because I don't have any time. I can't help those people because I have little kids. I can't help those people because I don't have any kids, right? There's a million things that all of us don't have. But Peter and John didn't let the fact that they didn't have any money stop them. They said, hey, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I want to give to you. You know, we, we're, we're talking a little bit in, in this series, we're talking all about Acts, and one of the things that we're really talking about is evangelism, right? And maybe you don't know what that word is. It, it simply means telling people about Jesus, right? Just sharing your faith with people, inviting them to church, that sort of thing. But what do you have? Every single one of us, if you are a Christ follower, there's one thing that you have that you can offer anyone, and that's Jesus. We've said this quote many times at Joy Church, but it's evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. 
in your life, what you have, if you've met Jesus, if he's done something in your life, if he's turned your life around like he has mine, then the one thing I can offer anyone is to say, it's Jesus. That's where I found bread. I was hungry. I was dead to my own sin. I was stuck. But I found Jesus. He's right over there. Right? What do you have to give? Peter and John said, I don't have money. But I have something better. Right? I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It says in verse 7, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. I love this part because it doesn't say that the man still sat on the ground and they saw his legs become straight and strong and then he got up, right? It says that Peter grabbed him by the right hand and raised him up and then his feet and ankles were made strong. Peter was believing that God was going to do something in this man's life, right? So number three, three, you have to actually believe for miracles. We actually have to believe that God can do something, that God can change lives. You know, a week ago, my daughter, Evie, she's eight years old. She was going down the stairs at a very rapid pace, as children are wont to do, right, with an enormous blanket. You guys see no hazard in this, right? So she has an enormous blanket, way bigger than her, going down the stairs as fast as she can, and she falls down the stairs and she hurts her foot pretty bad and it's her toe that she hurts pretty bad and so we're looking at it and we're thinking gee could be broken right could be broken toe you know we're not sure it doesn't look crooked or anything but it you can tell that it hurts a lot you know you can tell that there's a lot of pain and so we're kind of watching it and I'm watching for swelling and I'm just kind of we're just kind of watching and waiting to see what happens and it's not swelling you know and it's not really bruising so I'm thinking it's it's probably not broken Maybe it got jammed, it got tweaked, whatever, you know. So then the next day, and we're just watching it. She's still playing. She's still having a great time. So we're thinking, we're probably okay. The next day, that night, she's supposed to be in bed. She comes downstairs and she says, Mom, my foot is hurting so bad. It's hurting, you know. And I look at it, and now there's an enormous bruise on the top of her foot. And it's all red and turning black or whatever that color is, that bruise, right? And now the little, the toe is swelling up like a little sausage, right? And I'm like, okay. So now I'm actually thinking, You're, you actually might have a broken foot, right? <laughs> might have fractured something in your foot. And so I'm looking at it and I'm thinking and, you know, and I'm waiting for her dad to come and save the day, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, you know, so I'm talking to Evie. I'm like, just sit here. You know, I think I was folding laundry. I was just, just sit here. You know, it's okay. And I'm talking to her and we're talking about different stuff. And then Jake comes in and I say, babe, look at Evie's foot. It's not doing so good, right? And so Jake looks at it and he's like, you know, you try to be calm for your kids, right? You're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> right? Because it's looking way worse than it did just a few minutes before, right? Just the day before. It's looking, it's looking like not so good now. Now it's looking like we should get some medical intervention. And Jake goes, Evie. What we're going to do right now is we're going to pray for your foot, and God is going to heal your foot, right? And so he sat there, and he prayed for her foot, and guess what? Immediately, the red in the top of her foot just went away. Immediately, the bruise started to go away. Immediately, the, the swelling went down, and it was crazy. And he said, is your foot, Evie, is your foot feeling better? Yeah, my foot is feeling better. Get to bed. No, I'm just kidding. I'm always... <laughs> but I'm as close. We're like, is your foot feeling better? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Does it still hurt? A little bit. Okay. 
All right, do you see that the red is going away? Yeah. Look at Evie. God is healing you right now. God is healing your foot. Now, some of you guys, if you're a doctor, you're saying, what is wrong with you? Go to the doctor, okay? We do go to the doctor. Don't worry, we're not anti-doctor. But, but it, what I'm, why am I telling you this story? Because we actually in the Schmelzer family believe that God is a God of miracles. We actually believe that God can heal, right? And so if the foot continued to swell and God did not heal that foot, we were going to go to the doctor. We were going to go figure it out. But our first thing that we always do is that we actually believe that God is real and that God cares about us and that God God wants to move on our behalf. And so the first thing that we do is we say, God, would you heal our eight-year-old daughter's foot? It's in pain and it's late at night. She needs to go to bed. We need a break, right? And God can do the same thing for you. This isn't something that's special. Oh, well, if you start a church, then God begins to do miracles in your life. Absolutely not. This is just if you begin to believe that God is a God of miracles, and you begin to believe, man, God can do supernatural things, right? Well, that God can move on your behalf. When I have a hard situation with somebody, maybe it's an interpersonal situation, and they just they don't understand what I'm saying to them. And I'm conflict averse. How many of you guys are conflict averse? And so it feels like I'm always miscommunicating with them, and I don't know why, and I hate it. You know what I do? I pray. Because God's the God of miracles. And he's the one who can make them understand. I'm not trying to manipulate them, right? But he can also make me understand them. And he can move on our behalf. Do you really believe that God can do a miracle? Not only in your life, but in the people around you. Peter moved in faith. And he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. He didn't see the miracle happen before he lifted him up. He lifted him up and then the miracle happened. He believed for miracles. God wants to use you. Will you let him? God wants to use you. Will you let him? Number four, don't waste the momentum. So the man, right, he rises up, he walks. Later in the chapters, you can read, he's over 40 years old. And they, they don't tell his exact age, but for some reason they tell us that he's over 40. You know, I don't know exactly what they were telling us about that, but he's over 40 years old. So he has been lame from birth. So over 40 years of his life, he has never walked. And suddenly this man is leaping and jumping and singing. And right, he's making a huge display. He's so excited that now he can walk right? And so a crowd begins to form. And then Peter stands up and he begins, like always in the book of Acts, he begins to tell them what is going on, Jesus. This is because of Jesus. And he points everyone to Jesus, right? And then it says that basically the, the authorities come in, they get mad, they bring in Peter and John, they're mad at them, all of these things. But then really interesting, in chapter 4, it's verse 1, it says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. So they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So number four is don't waste momentum. Something happened here. A miracle happened. And Peter said, man, this is drawing attention. Let's point them to Jesus. Let's point them to Jesus. Whoa, there's a miracle happening behind me. <laughs> right? Something was happening. 
Miracles always point to Jesus. It's really interesting if you begin to study out miracles in the Old Testament and you study out the miracles in the New Testament that Jesus did, they're always doing something. They're more than just what we read when we read it. They're usually pointing back, they're pointing forward, they're, they're fulfilling a prophecy, but something is always happening and really they're always pointing to Jesus. And miracles in our life, miracles in the lives around us, they always point to Jesus. And I believe that God wants to use every single one of us to begin to be able to see the need in people's lives and to be bold and say, man, can I pray for you? You know, a few years ago, I had gone through all my clothes, you know, and God was like, I'm going to get rid of all these clothes. And so I always put stuff on Craigslist, you know, and I buy stuff on Craigslist, which is basically the best way to have the best stories of your life. Because you just get to meet the greatest people. <laughs> and so, you know, this, I had a huge, I didn't want to separate the clothes. I just like a huge box of clothes. And I had it for really cheap and, um, you know, on Craigslist or whatever. And this girl, she was like, oh, I, I want to meet you. I'm going to buy these clothes. So I was going to meet her at night, of course, because that's the safest, in the Costco parking lot. I also had my entire family there for safety, right? We all go down together. <laughs> so we're waiting in the Costco parking lot, you know, and it's all dark. And um, this, this girl comes up. She's really young, and um, she has this crazy hat on. It's like one of the craziest hats I've ever seen. So I get out of the car, and, you know, we're looking in the trunk, and I'm showing her the stuff in the box. And she just begins to open up to me and tell me about all of these things going on in her life. Her grandma had just gotten sick. You know, she was having a really hard time in school. Something was going on with a pet. I don't remember if it was a cat or a dog, but it was a big deal to her. And I'm hearing her saying, I have a lot of pain right now. And for some reason, she's telling me, right, a stranger, all about all this pain that she has. And I could feel my heart kind of beating. And I knew God wants me to pray for her. So finally I go, you know, sounds like you're going through a lot right now. Um, I believe in God. I believe Jesus. He's changed my life. You know, he can change yours. Would it be okay if I pray for you right now? And you know what she said? She said, no. <laughs> she said, no. And, you know, so then she keeps talking. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to try one more time. <laughs> Might as well. I don't know her, right? So I said one more time, you know, hey, is it okay if I pray for you? You know, or however I said it. And she again said, no. Okay. I said, I'm going to pray for you when I get back in the car. Because I believe God can change your life. So why am I telling you this? Because I think it's important that you hear failure stories. They're not failures. But it's important for you to hear that it doesn't always end up with a man and his feet being healed and him walking and praising, walking and leaping and praising God, right? And 5,000 people being added to the church. Sometimes it's just us being obedient and open and putting that little idea in someone's mind that there's a God who cares about them, that there's a God who cares about their needs. And I don't know whatever has happened to that girl, but she knows that there's a real God who cares. And that's what's so important. In your life, can you make enough room in your life to be able to see the hurting around you? Can you begin to really believe that God wants to work miracles in the people around you? Can you really begin to open your mouth and say, God, I'm ready. Use me. Open my eyes. I want to be used by you. I have one last story. I have enough time so I can tell it. 
when I, when I was a, a teenager, we used to go to Ensenada, Mexico. I went either two or three years in a row. We would do this. Uh, it was a missions trip. We would always work with this church. It was a really small church down there, and um, the pastor had died, and the, the wife had continued on with the church. And so I was, at this point, probably 18 or 19 years old. So I'm just a, you know, teenager with bad attitude, right? And um, we're down there in Ensenada, and we're having these, these night little, you know, services with the church down there. And we had three nights that we were doing these services. And the first night, they said, you know, if anyone wants, you know, prayer or whatever, we want to pray for you at the end of the service. And I really felt strongly, and I've never felt this kind of thing ever before, this specific thing. But I felt really strongly that somebody there in the room, and remember, I'm 18 or 19 years old, but someone there in the room has a spirit of death. And I've never heard that. That sounds kind of weird to me, right? And so I'm pretty nervous to even say that. I don't even know what that means. Even now, I don't know really what that means, right? And, but I feel that. I feel like God is saying that to me, and my heart is thumping out of my chest, and I'm like, oh, you know, it feels like I have to obey. I have to do this. So I go and I say it, right, to everybody, and there's a translator, and it, I'm sure it translated very oddly, right? And nobody comes, and it's super odd, awkward, because I'm waiting. Nobody comes, nobody comes, nobody comes. Super awkward. And then I feel like a total failure, right? Oh, man, Bethany, you should probably learn to hear God's voice, right? Or whatever it is that I thought. But I just was, like, embarrassed. The next night, you know, we do, we're doing stuff all day long. But the next time we go to the service, you know, again, does anybody want prayer for anything? And I feel it again. And I'm like, no. No, I can never say that again. I can never say that again, right? But my heart is pounding, right? And I just know this, I have to say it again. So I go up and say it again, right? And it's a long time again. Nobody wants prayer for that. Nobody. And I'm like, oh, Bethany, oh, Bethany, right? Then the third night, (sighs) prayer again, and I feel it again. And I'm like, Lord, I'm never coming back to this place. I can never show my face here again. I can't even do it. I'm so embarrassed. I can't. I can't do it, God. And finally, I'm like, I have to do it. God's saying it. I have to do it. I go up there and say it again. And this woman comes up for prayer. And um, I studied Spanish for too many years to not speak very well. And she didn't speak any English. And so we're talking, trying to talk to each other. And through what she said to me, she has a huge, like, distended stomach. She, her stomach was full of tumors. And there was nothing else they could do for her. There was no, you know, she didn't have enough money or whatever it was. There was nothing they could do for her. And so she had tried to kill herself multiple times. And I'm like, okay. Well, I'm 18, so (laughs) we need to go to the hospital or get a real Christian in here, right? But I'm just like, okay, well, I'll pray for you, you know, and I pray for her. And the truth is, I don't know what happened. She was, you know, you could tell God was moving in her life. You could tell God was doing something with her. But I don't know the end of the story. I came back to the United States, right? But there was something about me being obedient all of those nights and probably something about her hearing that all of those nights and then finally taking a step to say, God, I want to be healed. And I don't know. I don't know the end of the story. But God does. And are you willing to be a person that says, God, you can use me? 
Because did you know God wants to use you? He wants to use you. Will you let him? Will you let him use you? You know, maybe you're here in this room and you're saying, Bethany, I've never been to church. I don't know anything about this. I don't really know what's going on. Maybe you feel more like that beggar. Well, you're like, man, I've lived every day of my life and it feels like the same. It feels like I'm trapped. It feels like I, I work so hard and I can't get anywhere. It was just an ordinary day for that beggar. But he got to meet someone extraordinary. He got to meet Jesus. And maybe today in this room, you're saying, I'm ready. I want to meet Jesus. I want my life to be changed by him. The greatest miracle for every single one of us is salvation, which basically means that we say, God, you are God. You re are real. You exist. Jesus is real. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And I can trust him. I can put my faith in him. And God, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to trust in you. And from that, we get salvation. We get a helper. We get a friend who comes alongside of us and helps us in this life. And so if you're here today and you want to accept Jesus, in just a minute, we're going to have everyone close their eyes, bow their heads. But I'm going to ask you to just take a step of faith and lift up your hand, and we want to pray with you. So if everyone right now, if you'll just bow your head, close your eyes. If you're in this room and you're saying, I want to meet Jesus, I want to give Jesus my life, would you just raise your hand right now? We don't do this to embarrass you or anything like that. It's just so that you can say, it's really between you and Jesus to say, God, I'm giving you my life. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else in this room? Right now we're going to pray a prayer. Everyone in the room is going to repeat after me so you won't be alone. But if you made that decision today to follow after Jesus, to give Jesus your life, it's not a magic prayer, but I'm just asking you to repeat it because it's a way that we show, Jesus, I'm putting my faith and my trust in you. So if you repeat after me, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for living your life for me. Thank you for choosing me even before I've ever had a chance to choose you. God, I choose you today. I give you my life, the good and the bad. God, I pray that you will use it. I put my faith and my trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.